Greeting. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating and a positive review, please pause this recording. And as, as a part of your Lenten discipline, um, write us a, a, a glowing review. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, an Anglican priest. Chris, how are you? Remember, it's Lent. Um, <laughs> I'm still great. <laughs> Kirk, I'm glad that the Lenten discipline is not listening to the podcast <laughs> that that like through the agony uh and the sacrifice of That's enduring right. this podcast that you are being refined by the it's, holy spirit it's essentially like an oral like an oral hair short hair shirt like an audible hair shirt well kirk we usually um c- catch up a little bit in these opening moments but um today are we gonna jump right to the gospel um, yeah, we can do that. Uh, our, our days, our days are busy and today, today happens to be one of them. And, uh, perhaps in the spirit of Lenten austerity, we should go straight to the, the word of the Lord.
Today's gospel lesson comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 35. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And somebody said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. People will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today, and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Kirk, this is a passage about many things, but primarily about salvation and arrogance and the place that one has in the kingdom. And Jesus is very careful to constantly challenge people. Um, I'm trying to think of where it was in Luke not too many weeks ago. Was that in Advent where... Um, uh, John the Baptist uh, and Jesus uh, had this encounter and we, we hear Jesus saying, talk about you brood of vipers who told you of the wrath to coming wrath to come. Um, and then he, he talked about how inclusion in the tribe is not enough. Do you remember this Kirk? Uh, yes. I don't remember what Sunday it was. I'm sorry. Right. Right. But I mean, it was, it was in Luke uh, is it three, just, just prior to the baptism. Um, and uh, we, we see this in various places in, in the, in Matthew 25, um, Jesus talks, says, uh, some of you come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not almost try to justify themselves that, that like we are included in this uh, covenant um, uh, simply by, by, by what we did, or we were with you um, and, and, Jesus is always careful when talking to the Jews to, to say, like, don't assume that, that simply being a member of the tribe is sufficient for your salvation. And um, 
you know, in, in Luke three, I hope it's Luke three. It's John, John the Baptist um, in Luke three. Um, after he says the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, for, God is able yes, to raise, from raise these up. Stones. Yes. These stones. Raise from raise these stones. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And so here we, we have a, a Jew saying to Jesus and Kirk, doesn't this question strike you as an interesting question? Will those who are saved be few? That is a very interesting question. Yeah. And, and so there's a certain smugness in it um, that like, of course, you know, me being, being a good Jew am one of the few. Now, let me ask you another question. Does Jesus answer his question? Uh, he, he gives an exhortation, right? Strive to enter through the narrow door. He didn't say yes or no. Right. So, so I mean, he, he does not answer the question. He gives, how often does he ever answer yes or no questions? Right. <laughs> so this person got the answer that they needed, not the one that they wanted. So they're looking for confirmation, like, ha, ha, ha. You know, I, I smugly asking, you know, yes, I am part of um, the chosen few. Um, and, and, and he was looking for kind of confirmation that, that I'm special because I'm one of the tribe. Likewise, Kirk, let us who are uh, Gentiles um, be grateful that we have been grafted into this vine yeah. um, and not be smug about our salvation. After all, we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. The As salvation is from without. Later, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that salvation is, is pure gift. And so the, the question that's asked is, will many be saved or few be saved? And while Jesus talks about um, the narrowness of those who are, will be saved uh, at, at various points in his ministry, at this point, the answer this person needs to hear is, is a very personal one. Right. Um, uh, listen, don't worry about their salvation. Right. Worry about your own, right? That's the exhortation here. Like, don't like, don't worry about them, and don't even think about them, and don't be like, "Isn't that great? Aren't we so great that we are among the few?" Um, the question to uh, the answer to this guy is is focus on your own salvation. Strive to enter through the narrow door, because many people will try to enter and won't be able to. And it's not sufficient to say that we hung out with you, that we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. It's not sufficient, Kirk, as, as John the Baptist said in Luke 3, um, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That that's Christian life is repentance and faith in Christ. It's not just like proximity to Jesus. Like, hey, we were, we were found near you. We kind of followed you around. Um, salvation is by grace through faith. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I, I, just, I feel like this would have been, would this have been a, a shocking rebu rebuke to any faithful Jew? The whole, the whole self-concept. Right. Is a is an elect people called to holiness and right worship of the one true God amidst um, great evil and pagan um, worship on all sides. Um, think of the the book of Joshua, um, cleansing the land of foreign gods and evil practices and so forth, and the constant rhythm of the prophets calling um, his people, God's people, back to Torah, back to right practice, back to covenant back to unity. And so, um, of course the sense with it, yeah, it, it's few, right? Lord, it's us. Like you've come to call the, the, uh, the sons of Levi, right? You come to purify the sons of Levi. Um, and so, uh, uh, 
this this is not this has to be kind of a, a shocking rebuke a, a, a glass of cold water to the face likewise john doubt. the baptist to the pharisees right wait a minute sons of abraham from stones like i thought we were special man yeah is that is yeah. that right in For terms sure. of context without a doubt and in this way um jesus is is seeking to shake up um sort of a dried up and dusty paradigms and and remind people of of the god who saves and that he calls us to repentance and faith in him that that it's not um external religiosity it is not um we we did the right motions on the right days we've showed up for the feasts um the the faith the faith is much more vibrant than that and so kirk in 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 the context of of ministry uh jesus gets a sense of what people need to hear. Some people need to hear assurance and he gives them assurance. Mm -hmm. Some people need to be uh, kind of challenged that, that um, he can sense in them um, a faith that it, or, or can, can sense a lack of, of faith in God and um, that, that uh, mere uh, <sighs> unintentional hypocrisy assumption yeah. that they're 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 in good faith in the covenant um yeah when in reality they aren't as john the baptist says um bearing fruits and keeping with repentance yeah 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 kirk and in all of this um we're at a place in luke where he has set his face to jerusalem yes <laughs> right yeah and so he's on his go on his way through villages and some pharisees come to him in verse 31 and uh, warn him, hey, Herod wants to kill you. And at, at this point, Kirk, Jesus is not concerned about the messianic secret. He is, he is ready for what is to come in Jerusalem. Right. He is not saying, be quiet. You know, my time has not yet come. He's aware that his time is coming. And uh, he calls Herod a fox. And, and of course, we should have a bit of a refresher here. This is not Herod the Great who who killed the um the holy innocents uh when jesus was a baby seeking to to wipe out jesus this is uh one of his sons herod antipas and um but again um not a great leader and he's a fox in that he's not a uh, an authentic king right uh certainly uh there there's a lot of um context there and and even calling someone fox is a rabbinic term for somebody who is um kind of sly and cunning uh but it's not it's not a compliment um and jesus describes what he's what he's doing he says behold i cast out demons so it doesn't fierce. have the same connotation it does in english because sometimes foxes when we call someone a fox it's a nod to their cleverness yeah that's that's not the case here okay um uh and then he, so the, here he, he lays out three days this is not these aren't literal days he's not saying in, in three days i will be finished but this is like a metaphorical like this is called coming soon um i need to go to jerusalem jerusalem this this place where he knows what's coming in jerusalem like he he, he was not unaware that um this triumphal entry would end in in death like that is in fact what he came to do and um, but then he has this lament, Kirk. 
Yes. And it, it isn't just Jerusalem. It's all of Israel. It's all of Israel. Um, so Jerusalem, in this case, is a synecdoche for all of Israel. Um, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones, those, those who are sent to it. Kirk, wh- wh- why is it that uh, Jerusalem and all of Israel killed the prophets? Um, I, you t- I don't know. You tell okay. me. Okay. <laughs> Nobody likes uh, being confronted by their sin. Okay. Yes. Prophets okay. are unpopular. And when you show somebody their sin, uh, that's just not a very popular thing to do. Um, and then here, Kirk, we have this interesting motherly image of God. Mm-hmm. And um, this, this is a, a particular text that is included by people who um, try to help Christians understand uh, that when we say God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit, um, that uh, Y chromosomes, right, right. That there are uh, biblical metaphors that that are are feminine. And here's one of them Um, that uh, even Jesus, who is, it was a biological male and is a biological male um, talks about uh, wanting to gather the children as, as a hen gathers her brood under his wings. And there's a protective thing. Um, And we remember that when a prophet confronts you about your sin, um, it is for your sake. It's that sin is, is, is something that you would do on a path that leads to death. And what God wants, God does not hate anything that he has made, Kirk, and does not desire the death of sinners, but that they would repent and seek new life in him. And, um, and then, of course, uh, I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <laughs> what day is that, Kirk? Palm Sunday, man. Palm Sunday. Quoting the Psalms of Ascent. That's right. Yeah. Psalm, is it 138? Is that Psalm 138? Maybe. Okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but Kirk, it, interestingly, um, on Passover... Uh, this would have been a hymn that they would have sung. Yeah. Um, so on the, on the Last Supper, they would have sung this. Uh, and and um, there's like a um, antiphonal thing that they would have done where the rabbi would sing and they would respond. Um, and people, some people think they didn't have liturgy, Kirk. Um, that's not a thing that people actually say. That's true. Kirk, <laughs> you asked about Fox. Uh, yes. According to one scholar, Fox was a very a rabbinic term of derision for somebody known to be not clever, but habitually deceptive, a creature of interestingly low cunning. Oh, and this connotation would have been familiar of an educated for to an educated Greek like, like Luke. So um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You, you were correct in the eight. That's Psalm 118. 18. Sorry. Psalm 118. Um, 26, verse, verse 26, 26 would be, yeah. blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have wished you good luck. Ye that are of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord who has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords. Yea, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou mm. art my God. And I thank thee. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even if, I mean, that 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 finishes quite prophetically. So that would even that that uh, citation of the psalm is even more freighted with meaning for us as Christians looking back and reading that right, buying yeah. sacrifice to the altar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so with that, um, should we just let that conclude it and move on to our theology segment, Kirk? 
Yeah, I just have a couple questions. Oh, okay. Let's stay here. <laughs> um, the Old Testament reading for today. Mm. Uh, for Sunday, it's 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 that incredibly fun and trippy passage from uh, from Genesis fifteen, and um, and I, I wonder I wonder if uh, our authors of the prayer book. Um, if they were linking the narrow door with this somehow, or if that's, I, I don't know, but um, are, are you going to be preaching on Genesis 15 at all? Kirk, at this point in the week, I actually still don't know yet. Yeah, we'll I see. just, I asked our rector, um, and he he's going to preach on that. I would love to hear if there's a connection between the two of these. Genesis 15 is this, um, this remarkable passage um, where at the beginning of the chapter, God's covenant with Abram. Um, God shows, brings Abram outside and says, look toward the heaven and number the stars. I will make your offspring like, like the stars in the sky. Um, and then as the sun goes down, he, um, he, he, he puts Abram into a deep sleep. And um, uh, he, uh, let's see here. Oh, oh, um, before that, he has Abram cut a cow, a three-year-old cow, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he has them cut in, cut in half. And he lays each half, um, kind of spreads them out. Um, he, I guess he didn't cut the birds in half. Um, and uh, Abram falls into a deep sleep. And, uh, and as he falls into a deep sleep, a smoking pot and a flaming torch kind of float between the pieces, um, which I guess in, in the ancient Near East marked a covenant and when you make a covenant, like the fine print, like you, um, mm -hmm. you're, 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 the blessings and the curses, if this covenant is broken, this is the price you pay. That's sort of like an early termination fee. You know, if you get out of your, uh, your, your rising contract too soon, you have to pay, you know, X, X dollars a line. I um, mean, I guess the unusual part of this covenant is God is, was heaping upon himself the curses if the covenant is broken right. what you're Fast describing forward. is a, a suzerainty treaty um and kirk let's not zoom too fast through this is is a suzerain <laughs> like so a greater would come to a lesser um and um make a covenant an agreement and let's not let's not with let's not be hasty in describing the intensity of a lesser um, Lord, a lesser power, um, agreeing to this by walking between split carcasses as a stark reminder of if you, if, if you at any point break this contract, um, this is going to happen to you. So there's like blood on the ground and split right. up like, like <laughs> Kirk, we are so far separated from slaughter, the slaughtering right. of animals that like to right. actually like walk through them as, as a, as a, like almost a looming threat of this, this is going to happen to you. And then yes, Kirk, while, while it's common for the greater to um, hold the lesser responsible, responsible in this way, God, the greater um, in this agreement, the greater Lord uh, says, if this agreement is broken, which Kirk, the Israelites were not faithful, yeah. though I was your husband, says the Lord, um, that God says, I, I take these curses upon me. Yeah. And it's Kirk. So I, I know you're... I will let you continue in one minute. Okay. <laughs> I think this is, I think this is linked um, be, because of the, 
Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves, nature of this, of this one-way love, of this like one-way covenant, both the old covenant and the new, that that um in the in the gospel we see um this Jewish man ask, like, hey, like, I know I'm saved, but like, are there gonna be many people outside the covenant or is it just us? And Jesus is like, you're asking the wrong question. The question is about you and your salvation because I am the one who does all the saving and you need to, to um, uh, be a part of this covenant by faith. And um, God is the one who saves. Yes, you mentioned Joshua Kirk, Yeshua. Um, this is the idea. Uh, it, 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 that name of Jesus literally means God saves. Yeah. Yes. So, uh I, I, I'm fascinated by that. I love that that came up in the, in the lectionary. And um, that is one of the great, uh, I think, Old Testament passages that, that um, is, is trippy and fascinating and very important. Um, and, 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 and clearly um, Christological. So yeah, I like your linkage. linkage. You, you explained that well. The last thing I want to say and and uh, and then we we need to move on. Is this? Um, I'm reminded with this narrow door. You know who I'm reminded of, and maybe just because I just read about him in the story again is Esau. Um, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, "Lord, open to us." Uh, and then you will begin to say, "We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets." But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And then we have weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, I just I just read a sermon about Esau that was heartbreaking. Um, that he, uh, so Esau um, is hungry one day, famished, not hungry, famished, famished. And, and, and is sort of uh, hastily gives away his birthright. Um, the blessing and the birthright. Um, and uh, from 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 Isaac, and uh, Isaac is is old, and 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 Jacob is Isaac's younger son is is kind of clever, and so Esau gives away the birthright, and then comes back later and regrets it, and so thinks he's going to win it over by like dressing some venison really nicely or whatever, um, and it's too late. It's too late. Um, he was hasty. He had the birthright and he gave it away. And there's not even penitence, right? He, um, Esau even appealed to, but I'm the firstborn son, right? And look what I made for you. I made you this nice meal. Um, and I contrast this with another firstborn son who throws everything away, um, but who, who doesn't even attempt to get it back. And of course, that's the prodigal son, right? Who, unlike Esau, understands fully the gravity of what he did. Um, and acknowledges that he is worthy, worthy, worthy of nothing. He's, he's not worthy of the birthright that that was once his inheritance. And this, the, this hypothetical person here in this passage with the narrow door sounds much more like Esau to me than like the prodigal son. And um, in a in the season of Lent, Christopher, in which our the the whole core of Lent is penitence to know thy sin and to quake and to get on your knees and beg forgiveness um, because um, our sin will make us die. And um, it is only the blood of the God-man, 
um, that can save us from that. And so um, it's time to get serious about our sin and serious about our penitence. And this is, um, in light of all of that, this is a spooky passage to me. We need to always remember um, that the prodigal son is, is how we need to, that's our true state, not, hey, <laughs> um, the open to us. Um, we ate and well, drank together. <laughs> Kirk, I mean, the, the, first of all, thank wonderful, wonderful, um, wonderful words. Um, the, the parable of the prodigal son has, a, a has a brother and who does that brother represent in the prodigal son? Uh, the old, uh, the older son. So it's actually flipped, right? W what do you mean? You, okay. Perhaps I misunderstand your question. So in, in the prodigal son, um, this is a challenge to the religious person who thinks that he mm -hmm. is saved simply by dint of uh, more empty moralism. Right. But I, but I did this, but like self-justifying, right? Mm -hmm. Like, father, I stayed, I, I did everything. Yeah. You know, like we, we see this repeated theme, don't we? Mm -hmm. um, of, of, of Jesus kind of oh. quoting hypothetically people who are trying to make their case uh, right. by their own merits. That's right. what I mean by the old, so older this brother. person right here is, is not, not just perhaps Esau, but also the other brother in the prodigal son. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. The, the person who is trying to explain like, um, their merits, um, this way or that way. And Jesus is saying that, that stuff is empty to yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, what a season to be reminded that, that our proper posture before God is on our knees in penitence. Right. Amen. And, and with that, <laughs> yeah, Kirk, absolutely. And, and with just that um, serious and somber and just really profound point that you make, let, let me just do a 180 here. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was looking for some bulletin artwork um, and uh, you know, Abraham, uh, I'm sorry, Abram goes by Abram and Abraham. And, and I couldn't remember off the top of my head um, if, if, uh, he went by Abram or Abraham at this point, not he went by, but like if Genesis referred to him, uh, I, it was just like a quick task I was doing. And okay. so I did a Google search, Google image search for Abraham. And I was like, oh, what else? Um, Abraham smoking pot. <laughs> and I, I'm sure you can imagine what, what the image that came up. What, one of them was Abraham Lincoln smoking weed and it was like propaganda for for marijuana um and i was like oh i should i should include uh the smoking uh, pot and the flaming torch as well but that that made me laugh i hope listener that that um, makes you laugh as well kirk shall we move on to our theology yes segment? let us please
So today on our theology segment, we're going to cover two saints on our calendar. And and Kirk, maybe you can give a refresher at some point uh, during this discussion to our listeners who are like, why do we care about saints? Like, what's what's the use of this? Um, uh, but uh, March 7th is uh, a, a day that is given to Perpetua and her companions. And what I'm going to do, um, Kirk, I what I'm going to do, there's a book um, called lesser feasts and fasts yeah that um yeah. has a, a brief biography and then has some colics yeah um f- for uh each saint's day and i'm merely kirk i'm gonna read um the biography here uh i did not have time this week to i was gonna look up when, when i took church history well there's two sections but the, the one that on the ancient church um we had to do considerable reading on perpetua and i remember being very moved. When you study the early church, uh, you can't help but encounter this, this uh, fledgling group that is persecuted. Remembering that, of course, uh, of these uh, initial apostles, only John, um, who was exiled to the island of Patmos, only John was spared a martyr's death. And it wasn't until... Um, um. Oh my goodness! What's his Constantine? I almost forgot Constantine. Yeah. It wasn't Constantine. until Constantine in the fourth century that um the Christianity actually Edict became kind of three thirteen, yeah, yep. a favored religion. So I mean, it wasn't that every single uh corner of the Roman Empire um and every single year uh, like there were there were some persecutions that were worse than others, but uh as as I read this for for you, Kirk, and for the listeners. Um, just remember uh, what, is, what it was like um, to in the ancient world to be part of the persecuted church. And remember that um, there are parts of the world where the church is persecuted today, where um, to publicly affirm Christ as Lord is, is um, to, uh, to put yourself in great danger. And I think that that this could be incredibly vivifying for our faith um, to to think about and to remember those who suffered, um, while uh, acknowledging that there is a. I, I can't. I'm not going to speak too much on hagiography because um, I'm. I don't want to. I, I kind of plead ignorance on the genre, um, but uh, there there are some kind of later saints that that uh, were martyred, and when we read a, those hagiographies that um they're kind of silly like oh and they were martyred like bubbles came out of their belly you know as they were sliced open you know butterflies and rainbows and unicorns like jumped out of them and and that's not this um but they they came from amazing stories like this kirk um these amazing stories uh of, of these martyrs that um that were almost beyond belief of their of their courage um I think we've, Kirk, we've talked about Ignatius of Antioch. Yes. Uh, and his martyrdom and, and like the impact that he, as he wrote these letters on his journey from Antioch to Rome, to his martyrdom of his courage and just the impact that he had on those around him. Um, very similar to Dietrich Bonhoeffer on the, 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 the jailers. Like they were impacted by his, his courage, his, um, his, his, his infectious faith that this man was not scared. Um, he, um, 
his his hope rested in the risen Lord. And so um, with that said, with that as an introduction, I'm going to read about Perpetua. Vibia Perpetua was a young widow, mother of an infant, and owner of several slaves, including Felicitas and Revocatus. With two other young Carthaginians, I'm not going to try their names, they were catechumens preparing for baptism. Early in the third century, Emperor Septimus Severus decreed that all persons should sacrifice to the divinity of the emperor. So, of course, this was a bad time of persecution. You know, there's a decree that went out. There was no way that a Christian confessing faith in the one Lord Jesus Christ could do this. Perpetua and her companions were arrested and held in prison under miserable conditions. In a document attributed to Perpetua, this must have been what I read, which I didn't have time to find. We learn of visions she had in prison. One was of a ladder to heaven, which she climbed to reach a large garden. Another was of her brother, who had died when young of a dreadful disease, but was now well and drinking the water of life. The last was of herself as a warrior, battling the devil and defeating him to win entrance to the gate of life. Mm. And I awoke understanding that I should fight not with beasts, but with the devil. So much about me up to that day before the games, let him who will write of what happened then. At the public hearing before the preconsul, she refused even the entreaties of her aged father saying, I am a Christian. So the entreaties being like, Please recant your faith. Just say the words. Um, and Kirk, the, uh, the 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 movie Silence is is a great and powerful story of of uh, faith and apostasy in the face of persecution. Yeah. Have you seen the movie? I did not have the heart to see it. I didn't yeah, even I, have the I, heart to finish the book. It was difficult for the longest time, Kirk. I I didn't either. But when I finally saw it, because I was going to discuss it with friends, um, I was really moved by both okay. the, the the apostates and. Um, there's a the voiceover of of God's affirmation of the apostate saying, you know, like, I, that's a conversation for another day. Okay. On March 7th, Perpetua and her companions, encouraging one another to bear bravely whatever pain they might suffer, were sent to the arena to be mangled by a leopard, a boar, a bear, and a savage cow. Perpetua and Felicitas, tossed by the cow, were bruised and disheveled. A perpetua lost in spirit and ecstasy, hardly knew that anything had happened. To her companions, she cried, stand fast in the faith and love one another and do not let what we suffer be a stumbling block to you. And Kirk, I believe this is maybe inspiration for some hagiographies that, that, that um, some people like were essentially unkillable in one way. And so therefore like got, you know, they'd be killed in a different way. Um, they were almost, you know, invincible you know by by the power of the spirit um eventually all were put to death by a stroke of a sword through the throat so they were you know tortured first by wild animals and then just eventually just sliced open the soldier who struck perpetua was inept his first blow merely pierced her throat between the bones she shrieked with pain then aided the man to guide the sword properly the report of her death concludes Perhaps so great a woman, feared by the unclean spirit, could not have been killed unless she so willed it. 
Hmm. And I find this really moving, Kirk, in, in light of, of the spiritual warfare that we are in in Lent. So, Kirk, do, do you have a response to that, or shall I read the, um, the uh, collect? Yeah, go ahead and continue. Yeah. So here's the collect for the day. O God, the King of Saints, who didst strengthen... I'll read the contemporary version. Oh God, the King of Saints, who you strengthened your servants Perpetua and Felicitas and their companions to make a good confession, staunchly resisting for the cause of Christ the claims of human affection and encouraging one another in their time of trial. Grant that we who cherish their blessed memory may share their pure and steadfast faith and win with them the palm of victory through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Kirk, isn't that moving? Very, yes. Yeah. Um, did, you, did, you want me to, did you want me to say something about um, the importance of, uh, of, of marking saints' days and feasts? Sure. Let me, let me share first. That, okay. that, like, I think this, this is, is self-evident that we yeah. can be encouraged by those that came before us. And that when we um, are in those low points, um, we may never be persecuted, but we may be attacked by the devil, that we may encourage one another, knowing that there's solidarity here, that we are comforted knowing that like any valley that we go through, any persecution, any suffering, that Christ was present, um, that Christ is not detached from that because he himself went through that as well. And there's a solidarity there. That there's encouragement that we are not the only one suffering. And um, for that, I think it can be incredibly encouraging, just as if Perpetua would have done this alone, um, it would have been much harder. Or her companions, if they had, they not had her for encouragement. Of course, we're never alone, Kirk. There's always Christ, and there's always this Holy Spirit, and there's always our Father in heaven. Um, but to have earthly encouragement as well, I think, is is immense. But but yeah, well, why else? Why else would we mark these, these saints? Yeah, so I, I think often of, when I think of um of the saints, both, both like all saints, right. All Christians right. who have gone to the reward and, and, uh, uh, the true triumphant, those who are with the Lord and waiting for the final day. And also specifically like saints that the church marks and appoints feast days for like, uh, St. Perpetua. Um, I think of the Beatitudes, right. Um, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven mm. um there is something marvelous i mean that literally right to be marveled at our jaw just drops when we look at those who have been persecuted and 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 who are given the grace to see it as blessing at that very time. And, um, and this seems to be the fate of so many martyrs hmm. um, yes. like Perpetua. Uh, and it's hard to picture um, kind of in, in our life. And yet it is, it is a gift that the Lord delivers to the martyrs. And there's something mystical about it. Um, and there's, a, there's an aspect of American Protestantism that um, I don't know that that's a blind spot for, you know, it's kind of, if, if, if anyone is kind of itching when we start to talk about the church calendar hmm. or saints days, I'd encourage you to think about that. Just go to Matthew five and read through the Beatitudes. And um, mm. um, the idea that, uh, that we would mark the lives of the saints becomes more and more um, reasonable, I think. Right. Um, but also like, I mean, think, think of St. John 
the divine in revelation christopher he writes um i looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and jesus says come up here i'm going to show you what must take place after this um and john seeds and records uh for us a vision a great comfort for all who in, are in christ right multitude no man can number every tribe and nation people's languages standing before the throne and the lamb clothed in white robes crying aloud with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god right um perhaps mm -hmm. we're, we're we're familiar with those passages in revelation but here's the thing they are those whose robes are are being washed in the blood of the lamb um they have gone through the great tribulation but you and i are still going through the great tribulation um, and it is greatly encouraging to see um, the example of those who have gone before, who have fought the good fight, who have run the race, and who have won their reward. Um, encouragement mm. is sometimes hard to come by. And, uh, and the saints of the church are a source of enormous encouragement. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so there is this, uh, I would just say this, their robes are washed white in the blood of the land. Our robes are being washed white in the blood of the lamb. Um, uh, they, uh, he freely, God freely gives his body and blood to us for the forgiveness of sins um, at the communion table every time we, uh, we celebrate and feed. Um, and our white robes are not visible now, but at our resurrection, we are promised they will be visible when we will be raised again and bathed in Christ. And um, so these are just kind of we have a, 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 a profound spiritual bond with these people. And um, this is sometimes the word communion has this lovely double meaning. Um, we both commune with Christ, but we also commune with all those who have come before, right? Um, sometimes we talk about in theology, the church and um, the church triumphant, the church militant and the church triumphant, right? Like we are the church militant that those on earth still fighting, the church triumphant are those who have won their reward, right? Or the visible church and the invisible church. Um, so we are part of a greater edifice, Christopher, a much larger, more resplendent cathedral than we're able to see right now. And these saints days are a reminder of that, right? That through Christ's blood, we are united to a multitude which no man can number, though they are now on another shore in a greater light as we pray. <laughs> Um, and Christmas tide. Their hope was in the Word made flesh, and we are with them forevermore one. So that's my how's that for a pitch for um, marking the church calendar with greater devotion and those who have won their reward? What do you think? Love it. And there's another Saints Day coming up. Um, this is this is uh, someone that if you haven't heard of Saint Perpetua and Felicity. <laughs> Uh, some, someone that you more likely have heard of, um, and that is St. Gregory the Great, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. Uh, and Christopher, I learned this this week. Um, doctor of the Church, we only mark eight doctors of the Church. Four in the East and four in the West. Yes, and he is one of the four Western doctors. Yeah. Um, which which means know teacher. That. You know, it, it's a yep. special, you know, um, category of teachers. Um, yeah, so, so in addition to being the Bishop of Rome, um, he, he, which has its own sort of um, special place, he, was, he, he is one of the four doctors, yes. Yeah. Um, the other three, um, these didn't surprise me, Ambrose, St. Ambrose, um, 
the Bishop of Milan and baptizer of St. Augustine, St. Yes, Augustine, yeah. and then St. Jerome, who, uh, who translated the, the Bible for the medieval church into Latin. Um, but then, and then St. Gregory, uh, and, and there are only Gregory two, the Great. There are only say two Gregory the Great. Because yes. yes. it's interesting. We have another St. Gregory yes. who's, whose feast day was yesterday, right? Yeah. Gregory of Nyssa, yeah. Yeah, so there are only two of the greats. Um, one is Leo I and one is Gregory I. And both of them, interestingly, Christopher, um, served at times when it probably felt like the end of the church. Mm. Uh, uh, seventh century... 6th and 7th century Rome were sort of the felt had to have felt like the end of days right um the barbarian invasions from the from the germanic tribes from the north into italy um essentially the roman empire in the west by the west i mean northern africa italy spain um germany had 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 completely broken up um so he's born in 540 to this affluent family but it's sort of in the end of things right um, we have the, the invasion of the um, of the Roman tribes, not the Roman tribes. I'm sorry, the Germanic tribes as he's as he's growing up, uh, and yet and yet he uh, he becomes he becomes ordained, and becomes uh, ultimately becomes pope, and uh, and really leaves a, like leaves an enormous thumbprint on the church. Um, in addition to being a doctor, Christopher, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like jump in and, and take this over. Did you have uh, did you have first some things you wanted to say or to mark his life? first uh do i mean this was kind of you're gonna do this i i'm, I'm happy okay. to share all my right thing, i will but, i'll yeah. just continue. plow on ahead on. yep plow i'll on. just plow on ahead and i'll fill in what you what what uh what you leave out how about that yeah that sounds that sounds great um so first of all he had an enormous influence on the legacy of public worship in in christendom so he founded a school for the training of church musicians. So near and dear to my heart in that regard. And you probably have heard of him, even if you haven't heard of him, because of Gregorian chant mm -hmm. is named for him. He left this legacy um, of song in the church. Um, the schedule of readings, scripture readings for the various Sundays of the year, um, a, a series of prayers for each day. Um, and this would be used throughout uh the Western church for, you know, the next 1300 years um, is basically due to his passion for organizing all this stuff. Um, he wrote a treatise on pastoral care, um, which, uh, which showed a dedication to, um, to keep well, um, basically the priests as pastors, which, which wasn't, I, I gather, wasn't actually a, a great stress at the time that you should care for your flock. Mm -hmm. um, and what, what what is required of a minister in charge of a congregation? Uh, his sermons are still actually read today. Um, I've never read read any of them, but I but I gather that they're um, that they're still read. Um, but most importantly for us as Anglicans, Christopher, he mm -hmm. sent yes. missionaries. Most importantly, Augustine of Canterbury to this 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 lost realm that had been lost to the Roman Empire, Britannia, and um, and. Uh, and Augustine of Canterbury established a beachhead in Kent and ultimately um, brought uh, Christianity in Britain um, into communion with, uh, right. with the Catholic Church. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what's curious about that is that, is that Christianity was already there. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're two interesting things. So we, we see that Gregory the Great looking to this island and sending uh, 
Augustine of Canterbury, um, but also acknowledging that that um, through this awesome apostolic process of people being sent out, um, that Christianity arrived not via Rome um, initially, but via maybe Africa. Um, and uh, so there's an interesting story there. So maybe when we come to Bishop Columba um, or the uh, his Columba, yeah, Saint Columba, his um, Saint Day. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that and and um, Synod of Whitby and things like that. But um, or even um, uh, Saint Saint Patrick, who was doing his ministry prior to the arrival of Augustine of Canterbury. Yeah, and uh, so Christianity in England certainly was leavened by, I guess, what you might call that that Celtic influence, that Celtic flavor from from uh, Columba and others who predated Augustine of Canterbury. Um, but I think it's important that- uh, Oh, for there's, sure. There's, there's a, um, I want to push back against, and I, there has been a romanticization in our life, Christopher, a deep romanticization of the Christianity pre-Augustine of Canterbury in, in England. And, and that sure. something like something was lost and I think it was important in the days of the collapse of the Roman Empire um, that, 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 that the Western church be one. Um, when everything was fragmenting and falling Without apart. Without a doubt, yeah. Communion so with Kirk, Rome was Kirk, definitely you are, important. For sure. You, you are, right now, you are kind of going down a, a rabbit trail that we just can't. Okay. Can't, Fair enough. We just can't go that far down uh, today. So you're talking about people who who might allege that the sin of Whitby was like that that Rome strong armed like this pure Celtic church. We're we're not going to get into that today. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we can discuss that. At okay. Some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But 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 I think what we take from that is is the importance of like um unity in the church of the, the, the there were parts that were uh, that had grown detached uh, organizationally. Um, the, the church calendars were, were different in, in a pre-internet age, in a pre-postal service age. Um, like the Synod of Whitby was a very important thing to, to kind of um, reestablish these um, formal connections. Very important. So let's not get too far afield. Let's get back to Gregory the Great. Yes. Yep. Um, so I would just say uh, his, uh, the, the essence of his ministry, and I'll wrap up here, um, themes that he loved to preach on, um, speak to me as well. Um, the mystery of suffering, um, the failure to do good despite one's desire to do so, the conflict between contemplative purity and the subsequent neglect of public duties, right? So when Christians, um, when we look too much inward, um, we, uh, we become, uh, we, we no longer are salt and light in the world. Um, and, uh, and teaching that adversity and prosperity in a time of uh, social decay um, are, um, are, are signs of, can be signs of God's presence, that, 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 that God is ever present in trials and suffering. And um, I think those are all themes that we can, we, uh, we, we can, we can definitely say amen to. Um, for him, uh, mediation, uh, uh, meditation on the sacraments was central. Um, he loved uh, Holy Communion, and uh, he loved to be around baptisms. Um, and this would have been in a medieval world, which was very alive with demons, um, where the spiritual was visible, and um, where, uh, where, 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 where sins were taken seriously. And, um, and so he, he lived and, and believed and taught all these things within that context. 
And so I say amen to all of that. What say you, mm-hmm. sir? Well, it's funny. Just last week, uh, I was um, sitting at lunch uh, with uh, one of our young preachers. Um, and by that, I don't mean pastors, but um, we, we try to raise up people with gifts and nurture um, th- this gift. Uh, in our tradition, one must does not need to be ordained in order to preach. And like part of like that discernment process to holy orders is, is um, uh, kind of nurturing uh, natural gifts that people have. And so we, we have, we have somebody who's, who's uh, been preaching a little bit here and there that I'm intentionally nurturing in his growth as a preacher. And I invited another pastor into this process to kind of reflect um, with the first individual and um, th- this other um, pastor who came into this process is my former pastor. And sitting there, um, we're kind of reflecting on on this past ser- sermon that um, that was preached. Uh, uh, it was Gregory the Great who uh, my former pastor referenced. Uh, and I was moved by what he shared about the the gift of preaching, Kirk. This thing that you you uh, discussed that had perhaps been neglected a little bit. The the you know the, the pastor as pastor of the flock, but also you know this this importance of preaching, and um, th- this witness that we get to bear as preachers. Um, uh, and and here's a quote: um, the people neither suffice to see the heavenly glory as great as it is, nor can they articulate as much as they see. Therefore, the glowing brass emits sparks when the preacher is barely able to describe faintly that from which he himself is strongly kindled. Mm-hmm. So the preacher um, like looks at this divine glory and, and, and um, it's so overpowering. And when we preach, we're only testifying just mere sparks of this divine flame, this overpowering thing. And yet this is the means, um, even, even beholding these small sparks. Um, it, it's just like this, uh, I connect that Kirk to, uh, C.S. Lewis, the last battle and this further up and further in that yeah. like, we are, we are continually invited deeper into knowledge and love of God. And, um, we, we try to faintly describe, um, using words. It's like what, uh, Leonard Bernstein said, and, uh, it's attributed to him, but other people said it, like talking about music is like dancing about architecture. Like, right. <laughs> in, so, in, it's, in some ways, like language is insufficient to really, um, c- convey the, the, the depths of, of, of what we, um, are trying to convey when we are preaching. And yet, um, merely seeing the sparks are, are powerful for people to, to see. And, and um, so uh, he shared not only that, but some other th- uh, amazing things from the, the kind of teaching ministry of Gregory to pastors, people who have the opportunity to preach and which is an encouragement to me. And just, wow, like what, what an amazing opportunity I have every time I stand up in the pulpit um, to, to share this good news. Yeah. And uh, I was, I was moved by that. And it's, it's crazy, Kirk, that in the 21st century that we have um, priests and pastors who are, um, in, in a sense, discipled by um, this guy from the 7th century. Yeah. And, and let, let us be encouraged. Um, here's a man for whom it had to feel like um, all of civilization and the church was in its last days. Sure. And now 
um, we stand, you know, as pygmies on, on his shoulders. And, um, and we see that he was just beginning um, hmm. the work that, that, that the Christ would do through other flawed men. Mm. Um, and who amongst us will in 1500 years be canonized as so-and-so the great, even as we sometimes feel like we're in a battered and shrinking church. So let us mm. never, let us never despair. Um, for we have a Lord who will not let his church um, be, not, never abandon his church. Correct. That, that is a great uh, note to end on. To end in prayer? Let's. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Almighty and merciful God, who raised up Gregory of Rome to be a servant of servants of God and inspired him to send missionaries to preach the gospel to the English people. Preserve in your church the Catholic and apostolic faith they taught, that your people, being fruitful in every good work, may receive the crown of glory that never fades away. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week.